Today's episode of The Thriller Zone with David Temple is sponsored by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller. Hello and welcome once again to The Thriller Zone. I'm your host, David Temple, and today's special guest is Christopher Swan, best-selling author of A Fire in the Night. I'll hold all the preamble and simply say, this guest is a genuinely nice fella, a smart teacher, and this interview will reward you with some tasty morsels of insight and advice, especially if you're an aspiring writer. So let you and I get in The Thriller Zone. Well, I'll tell you, I am, I've been looking forward to this ever since we first connected, which was... I can't remember if it was uh, Mark Westmoreland or somebody said, hey, this guy is, you know, I'm doing an interview with this guy and it looks like it's going to be good. It's before the interview, said, so it looks good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a great, that's a, it's a great book. A violent gospel. It is. We've become, uh, I don't know if you'd call us uh, pen pals, text pals. Uh, <clears throat> he's just that kind of guy. Yeah, well, he and I've got this. He edited oh, this yeah. collection. That's how I met him uh, through Brian Panowich, another writer, and he, um, you know, got me involved. And said, "Again, can I get in on this?" And I had no idea who all was going to be in it until they said, "Sure, come on in." And by the way, Sean Cosby and Michael Ferris Smith and Brian Panowich and you know Mark Westmoreland, Nikki Dolan. Like, what? I, I think I, I think I've joined the wrong group. Like, no, 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 no you're welcome. Come on in. So that was. <laughs> That was good. Oh my gosh, that's like a who's who of. Uh, it's not really flash fiction, I guess. It's novella. They're they're primarily novella writers. Is that right? <clears throat> most of the most of the guys in this that I know of, I think Mark Westmoreland is writing. Yeah, violent gospels and novella. But uh, Brian Panowich is a friend of mine. He writes uh, full length novels. Sean Cosby, you know, uh, Razorblade Tears and Razor Blade. Wasteland. Yeah, that uh, and he's he's so. Uh, He's so good and he's so humble and he's just like a regular person who, by the way, knows how to write really, really well. Isn't it nice when you run across guys who are really monstrously talented and yet they don't walk around like they know that they are? Right. And I've been lucky in this, you know, this writing career of mine, which is only a few years uh, old now, but in terms of being published, to put it that way. And all the... Uh, I know there must be jerks out there uh, and I've heard a couple stories, but the vast majority of people I've met other authors uh, have been nothing but kind and generous. I mean, I had to, my first book, I'm like, how do blurbs work? You know, how do y'all get blurbs? And they're like, actually you go get them. I'm like, what, who do I, I know one or two people, but okay. So I, it was almost like cold calls. I was like, hi, I'm, I'm, a, I'm your friend on Goodreads. Uh, could you, would you mind, I have a novel. Would you mind reading? And, and every single author I asked uh, for that first book said yes, except one who said, I would like to say yes, but my TBR pile is like this high. And I know if I say yes, I'll, I'll disappoint you. And I, I, I won't get to it in time. And I'm so sorry. I appreciate that. So I appreciate the honesty, right? Yeah, yeah. It's a good, it's a good, it's a good community. Or at least I've found it to be that way so far. So, yeah, there. Uh, everyone is so giving and so. Uh, it's funny because my first uh, 
job was uh, radio and it is a cutthroat business. Everybody's out for number one. They'll talk to you like they're sure. your best friend, but no, they're, they're hoping that you'll fail so that you can, so they can get your job. You know? Right. And lots of the kind of thing with uh, writing, it's not like a zero sum game. It's not like, oh man, Sean's book is number one is doing really well. It was a bestseller. You know, like people buy more than one book at a time. Right. And I mean, if, if you're, if you get on like the, who's going to be in the top 10, you know, is it going to be, you know, James Patterson and Stephen King uh, are going to be duking it out for who's number one. Okay. That's a whole different level of problem. Uh, But for most of us, it's just, okay, we want to write really good stories. We hope uh, people connect with them. And by the way, you should read this other guy's stuff or this other woman's stuff because it's awesome. It's not like like an I win, you lose. It's we both win or, (laughs) I hear we've all we've all had that happen to us. Where, you know, went to the bookstore and two people showed up, and one of them runs the bookstore. So yeah, <laughs> that's happened. Oh my god! I remember my <clears throat> very very first book signing of my self published book way back when, and uh, I think it was literally six people, and five of them were my family. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> By the way, it's Christopher Swan here on the Thriller Zone. I didn't start off with that, but uh, you're going to know it by the end of it. Chris, again, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Glad to be here. Uh, first of all, you got to you got to pardon me. I've got a I'm coming off of a cold, and it just will not uh, leave me alone. So it's going to pop up every once in a while. No worries. Uh, the book of Fire in the Night. Oh, wait a minute. Let me. Where are my props? Hi. Along with the uh, matching. <laughs> bookmark I gotta get some book swag in there yeah 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 the uh the cover alone <clears throat> it reminds me of and we're going to get to this in a minute uh i've got family up in hendersonville and yeah. the Asheville area and then uh, <clears throat> my sister's building a place over in marion so i know what this kind of represents that chalet look and it the minute i saw it i was like oh i could practically smell chimneys burning up in the blue ridge mountains um yeah 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 and you capture that, which we'll come back to. I wanted to come out with this um, couple of things. It arrived, uh, I think, Monday morning. Yeah. I sat down, and which is fine. I, it, I do like a little bit more prep, but it was a loss, uh, hitching the giddy up. Thanks, big, thanks to the post office. Sorry about that. No worries. Anyway, I picked it up on Monday morning, Monday afternoon, and I literally got up this morning about 5.30, and I, I had to finish it. It is, it was riveting. So I got up and finished it about two hours ago. Oh, thank you for that. Well, I, I'm often accused generally by myself that I am prone toward hyperbole. I don't know if that's because I'm a wannabe writer or, uh, I'm an entertainer by craft being radio and TV and I was going to say you were in radio. That's sort of part of the, that's part of the gig. You got to make things a little bit bigger than they are sometimes, but Absolutely. I, I do also want to be the guy that calls it like it is outside of, I mean, if a book really sucks and, and I'm going to have you on the show, I'm probably not going to say, geez, your book sucks. Like, so what was it like to write a terrible story? Right. I mean, yeah. <laughs> that's even better. Yeah, so did you, tell- yeah. Did you learn how to spell when you were, 15 or what what happened yeah david <laughs> did your parents uh, ever tell you that you and i and don't take this the wrong way but you have zero imagination 
don't take this the wrong way. It's like, that's, uh, I'm out. Like just walk away from the interview right then. Just, yeah. It's either that one or with all due respect. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. But all of that said, Sorry. and I suppose some of it comes from getting caught up in the excitement of meeting an author that you have always wanted to meet or a, a new author that you're hoping to help launch their career in any way that they can, or just nerves because maybe I'm intimidated by someone with such an incredible talent. But I'm going out on a limb and saying this book, literally, and I don't, I don't think I've said this yet on the show, and I'm going to get some heat for it, but this is a perfect book. Oh, I, no, I, I paid him well, ladies and gentlemen. No, I'm not a, prof- well, yes, I'm thank not a professional you. reviewer, Chris, <clears throat> but, and here's why I say that. Um, there's so many reasons. It. At first, the first few pages, I'm like, "Oh, this this cat's a literary fiction guy. He's a, he's a literary author. Where's my pipe, Mussy?" <laughs> you know, and then you get into it, and you're like, "No, this is a little bit of an action movie." Then it meanders down this path of family and loyalty and love, and then it returns to that that page turning thriller that you literally, you can't put it down. Ding, 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 ding. That was, that was my goal. So Uh, thank you. Yeah. And I won't keep going on about that, but folks, if you do not pick this book up, I'm just going to say this and read it and you'll read it in probably two days, then you're uh, really missing out. It does make me, and I, I don't have the time generally speaking because of all the books I'm reading, but it does make me want to go back and read your earlier work. I wouldn't be adverse to that at all. Uh, no, that's the, thank you for that. I wanted to, um, uh, the first two books I wrote were, uh, first person narratives. And so, which is great, but you're stuck in the head of one character. And I was, I was started this story somewhat the same way in the main character, Nick's head, but I wasn't, I wanted to try to do something else. And once, uh, Annalise, his niece, who he doesn't even know they meet in this book showed up. It's like, no, I got to, I gotta hear. I gotta hear her. I can't do. Uh, I can't do first person here. So I, I pulled out and did like a third. You know, you hear from Nick, and then you're then you kind of float over near an Annalise's point of view, and then there's a third one, Cole, who we can talk about later. But uh, I kind of want to just write an old fashioned uh, thriller as best I could, where you you think you know the characters, and as the story goes on. Wayne, this guy is not exactly what I thought he was. Um, so to hear you say that, I, I appreciate it so much. That's awesome. Well, and and <clears throat> Chris, I'm not saying it to flatter you, pr- I promise you, but um, it do- it's interesting that you should say that exact phrase because that's one of the things I really enjoyed. And you did it so masterfully. You're like, oh, Nick Anthony's this guy. L- l- Oh, wait a minute. He's not quite that. He's a little bit more. Okay, but I got him now. <clears throat> and then a little bit later, you're like, oh, no, Nick is a little bit of this. And the way that it unpeeled like an onion was just amazing. Thank you. Yeah, there's something I wanted to try to do. I actually got kind of annoyed because a couple early reviews uh, jump right to about halfway through the book or wherever where you sort of realize uh, some of Nick's backstory. And I was like, thanks. Well, thanks, guys, for doing that. But who reads reviews? Uh, but no, it's something I want. I've always liked those stories. And I know they've been done. They've been done a lot. Um, 
where you think you know the character and there's a secret past and that sort of thing. And uh, I wanted to see if I could pull it off and do it in a way that wasn't cliche and wasn't just uh, the same old, same old. And I wrote it as best I could. I mean, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not trying to write Ulysses here. Right. Uh, but um, yeah, you want to take as much care with it as you can. And you want to tell a good story that pe- uh, with a good character that people read and go, you know, I want to find out more about this guy. I want to follow him down whatever kind of path. If you can do that as a writer, it doesn't really matter what kind of story you're writing. Romance, sci-fi, right? Action, adventure, thriller. If you got a character that a reader's like, you know, I'm going to spend some time and follow this person around, then you know, that's gold for a writer. Mission accomplished. And speaking of <laughs> speaking of a um, of Annalise, the uh, uh, niece that he didn't know, talking about mm-hmm. another layered character. You think she's just a whiny little bitch at one point, and you know, <laughs> um, spoil a little rotten, and then you realize, yeah. man. What she's just lost, and I want to be real careful not to give it away. Um, I, I don't think it's too much to give away to say that uh, her parents were killed in a fire. Yeah. Yes. Um, and there's somebody looking for her. So let's just leave it at that. But <clears throat> the uh, fact that she was able to morph, and by the end of the story, I'm like, yeah. wait a minute, do we have a new super heroine on our hands? <laughs> I mean, I, I, if... If uh, if Nick and Annalise showed up in a future book, I, I or I was offered the opportunity to do that, I, I I wouldn't say no. They were a lot of fun. Um, having them spark off of each other, uh, it's you know you've got the older middle age you know the middle aged guy who's just sort of like grieving the loss of his wife and just sort of shutting off shutting out the world, and that's chapter one, y'all. So I'm not giving too much away. Um, and then you've got this 16-year-old girl who he doesn't know who shows up. That was that was part of how the story started. I had the idea of a character like Nick. And then, um, you know, because it's a novel, I can't have him just sit in his cabin and grieve for too many pages. And, oh. you know, boom, this this I had this idea of a teenage girl just stumbling onto his porch. Um, and the story kind of went from there. But yeah, she was a lot. Of, she was a lot of fun to write, and I wanted to, I wanted to do her justice. Uh, you know, I wanted to see if this middle-aged guy could pull off a sixteen-year-old uh, female character. And you did, and of course, you you've already jumped ahead to one of the things I was going to say is, and I know you you're probably working on the next book with something else because these have been standalones. It seems to be uh, to me from the research I've done. But it does beg the question, and I I, I got to ask it because it's logical. I'm like, you gotta, there's got to be a sequel somewhere because it it it's le- it's um it's concluded. It's not mm-hmm. a perfect bow, but it's enough of a conclusion that you feel satisfied. But there's so much an opportunity that if you wanted to keep it going, it would be so easy to do. That's what I yeah, that's what I wanted to do uh, to see how well this went. Initially, I thought it would be a standalone, but while I was writing it. And I came to love these characters and how they kind of sparked off each other. I realized, you know, the stories might not be completely done. My second book, Never Turn Back, up here over my shoulder. The book I'm working on now that my editor has a draft of in her hands is a sequel to that. And I'm dabbling in idea of maybe a series. We'll see what happens. Let me see if I get this straight. So Never Turn Back came out October of last year, Yeah. right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, Shadows of the Lions was your debut right it's my debut in 2017 here's an interesting question i got so many um 
you'd be the judge of interesting. The one of the things I liked about this is this is going to sound kind of weird. Maybe <clears throat> it's not a backhanded compliment. It's a front-handed compliment. It's only 278 pages. Yeah. Which for me is a little gift in of itself in that I feel like I can go through this pretty quickly. I'm getting a lot of books in the uh, 350 approaching four or even uh, 450 approaching five. And, mm -hmm. um, and there's so much backstory and so forth, which is all great in of itself. But this one, uh, maybe maybe the brevity at 278 ish uh, made for a quicker read. It, it's like it's like this: you got you did everything you needed to do. You said everything you needed to say. You brought in really great characters from a world of different backgrounds. You told a poignant story that revealed a lot of depth and a lot of different characters. So it's kind of like. Mission accomplished. Did, would you want to stretch it out to 350? Sure, but why do so, right? Right, exactly. I think um, the <laughs> Never Turn Back was, you know, first book, Shadow of the Lions, and I'd worked on that for a while, and that was my debut, and uh, was amazing, got a great reception. I was like, okay, I'm actually, I have, I have arrived as a writer, and I don't mean that in some sort of uh, fat-headed I'm amazing kind of way. I was just like, okay, now I've actually, I have done that. And now I'm going to, I can keep doing it. That's great. So now I'm going to, there was a part of me, I thought this is, this is fantastic. You know, I, I know what I'm doing now. Then I sat down at my laptop and the second book was like, yeah, that's, that's really cute. That was your first book. This is a whole different thing. And writing, writing never turned back was uh, one of the harder things I've done in my life. And at one point it was, it kind of swelled and got really big. I had a really good editor who came in and said, okay, here's what I think you're trying to tell. And so here's what I would suggest you move this here and take this out. Uh, and she was absolutely right. There are times when you want a 500 page book or you need that space. Um, right. But there are times when, um, you know, you get to where you're, and you're like, okay, I think the story's done. If I add anything else to it, it's just going to be padding and it's just going to slow it down um, or it's going to be repetitive or whatever. So, you know, I got to where it's entertaining. Uh, you feel like it's a good enough story to, you know, frankly, warrant the expense and the time because, you know, reading takes time and people have, people have got only so many hours in the day. So they're going to spend some of it with a book I've written. I'm going to try to make it the very best book I can. So. That is really well put. And, you know, that one you're talking about, Never Turn Back, it really came in only 10 pages longer, but you made an yeah. interesting point. A lot of people, I'll, I'll be reading a book and I'll think, there's a great big chunk. And boy, has my wife helped me really uh, gain this when she starts to read my very first draft before I get busy on it. <clears throat> she said, yep. and it's a classic mm -hmm. line that I told her that she loves to throw back in my face, is that, <laughs> um, well, David does it, progress the story forward. But it's true. If, if all of a sudden you're reading it and you're like, it doesn't really take it forward. And it only feels like a kind of plumping up of something you said over here. So let's just cut that out and see if we miss anything. And nine times out of 10, you don't. Right. My, my wife, Kathy, does this. She reads everything that I write and she gives very honest feedback, which the longer that's going on, the more I've come to appreciate it. Uh, earlier on, I think I was like, I know what I'm I know what I'm doing. I wrote this great. She's always right. Uh, simple's best. Uh, yeah, you want to you want to complicate things if you're writing a, a story with any kind of mystery, but keep it simple, stupid. 
still is a good operating program. If you want yeah. And you know, complication doesn't always mean in depth and more drama or more character <laughs> analysis. No, sometimes complicated just means wordy. You have to try and fail at something like that. And then if you can say, all right, but at least I finished a book length story. So yeah. I know how to do it. Now I'm just going to go do it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> something's burning here, uh, a hole in my hand, because you said something that made me think of this gentleman twice. Ted Bell was on the show and oh, yeah. uh, he was so good. And he was uh, friends with the uh, neighbors and friends with James Patterson. Anyway, so he says this, <clears throat> he's out on the golf links with uh, James and they're wrapping the game. And he goes, you know, listen, thank you so much for all this help that you've done on this book, blah, blah, blah. And James, well, yeah, but here comes the hard part. What's that? Your next book mm -hmm. shot out of the gate with this winner, but you got to do this again. And you can't just do yeah. a rehash of the first success. You got a whole new uh, mountain to climb and you got to kick ass. And he's like, wow, it was daunting. Yeah, it is. It, it, uh, it's, you know, you, you were, if you, you're right. And you have this dream of one day I shall see, you know, a book that I've written on a shelf in a store somewhere, or I'll see somebody, um, you, know, you have like a sighting in the wild, we kind of jokingly call it. you'll see somebody you don't know reading your book. Um, and you're like, okay, I have made it. But then okay, that now it's the next. That's good. Now what are you going to do next? What have you done for me lately? Yeah. <laughs> um, kind of thing, right? And so it is daunting, but the nice, if you're going to write stories, you're already uh, an optimist and you're already stubborn if you've stuck at it for any length of time because no one gets into this business for like instant success i mean that happens but yeah when i was 13 when i wanted to, when i knew i wanted to write stories and i looked i'm like what do writers do even then i i knew writers weren't like well i finished that book now i'm going to retire to the beach and maybe next year if i need to fill my boat. coffers with some more cow write another one yeah i want to get a you know i want to buy a yacht maybe i'll write another book if you like telling stories and you stick with it long enough and you're stubborn enough about it, then things will happen. That faith in storytelling has kind of carried me through. Even when I struggled with writing, even when I've struggled with, okay, I don't know what I'm doing with, what are words? Like, I don't even, how did I write the first book? I have no idea how this works. Yeah, you do. Just take a breath and start over. Yeah. Don't freak yourself out. We put, we yeah. put a lot of that pressure on ourselves and it's look, if you've already done one and you had great success with it, you know the ability is there, or or you've done yes. in your case three, working on four. You, you know the, you can drive the car. You don't have to worry about can I parallel park and see the rear view mirror all at the same time. Yes, you can. Just get into it. Yeah. I yeah. do want to I drill down on this because I find this fascinating, and maybe it's because I don't have the degree of education that you do, but, and it it also shares a little parallel universe with you and I. Uh, you graduated from a private all-boys school in Madison mm -hmm. County, Virginia. I grew mm -hmm. up in a little town, uh, Lynchburg, Virginia. Oh, yeah. You earned a BA uh, in English from Washington and Lee. Mm -hmm. I got a BA from a little place called Liberty University. And then you went on to get an MA in English and Creative Writing from Missouri, Columbia, which is a whole other thing. Then you got a PhD in creative writing from Georgia State University, where uh, you now live in that area. I hope it's a good question. What was the biggest gain that you got from getting both an MA and a PhD in writing? I mean, besides the obvious of you being a hell of a writer, I mean, that notwithstanding. I appreciate that. I, 
I'm a, I, I joked earlier about, you know, I wasn't really joking. I was 13, you know, I wanted to be a writer. What do writers do? And that will they teach? And a lot of them are teachers. And I thought, okay, at 13, I thought, okay, that's what I'm going to do. And that was, that was the beginning and end of my sort of career, thinking about my career goals. It's like, I want to write books and I want to teach to pay the rent. And that didn't really change through high school and college. And then I stumbled into teaching and realized, okay, this isn't just a way to pay the bills. I actually love this. I knew that I, I needed to get another, um, another degree. You get a little bit bump in salary and you get uh, taken a little bit more seriously if you're looking for jobs. And that was the MA. Plus I'd just gotten married and my wife was going to get a PhD in psychology. And so we applied together and luckily it turns out we went to Missouri. I want to get the PhD more just... That was more, I just wanted to see if I could do it. It wasn't because now everyone shall call me doctor or whatever. Or whatever. Right. Uh, but the, what I got the most, I was in, um, other than having access to some really amazing teachers, which I did, uh, I got to, uh, in creative writing programs, you get to work with other people who have a similar dream as you, which is to spend an awful lot of time, a lot of waking hours and some sleeping hours uh, talking to people who don't exist outside of your own head and trying to get them on paper and have other people read them so they get them stuck in their heads. It's a bizarre thing if you think about it that way. Uh, and writers, you spend, I mean, at the end of the day, it's you alone with your laptop or your legal pad or whatever. And some places you would be put into a, a, a very strongly secured building for that. Yes. Um, very comfortable padded room. <laughs> And so it's kind of nice to talk to other people who would be in this, who'd be inmates in the same asylum, if uh, you want to extend that metaphor. And, um, and you see other people are wrestling with the same kinds of things. And you meet people who are better than you and you sort of who challenge you to raise your game. Um, I will say about creative writing programs, I know um, one of the criticisms of them is, and I've said this before, is that uh, people who go through creative writing programs learn to write really well about not very much. And um, there is, there can be a kind of, and I, it's not, it's not really true, but there's a tiny bit of truth to that, or it could be um, to where if you, you can get too sort of precious and you were joking earlier about literary fiction. Well, that's sort of what people are trying, if you're writing fiction and creative writing workshops, that's sort of the goal. If you're trying to write anything that's genre, whether it's, again, sci-fi or romance or thriller, that and plot are sort of, in, in my experience, that's, that's not really all as that important compared to character and description. And they're right about the character. And if you're going to describe something, you want it to come across really well. But that the exaggerated version is that, of that is the three-page description of the feather bed or whatever. Right. 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 Um, where you're basically just sort of impressing yourself uh, as a writer. I think um, what I, I learned how I learned how to proofread. I learned um, I had a whole story when it went to spend 25 minutes, the, the teacher spent 25 minutes. And the story was pretty good, but she used a whole lot of adverbs and spent 25 minutes in workshop in front of all my peers talking about, so you don't really need that one. And then went through every, you know, you, you're like, I, I should quit now and just leave. And uh, no, she was doing me a favor. Sure. Um, so 
it's that, but it's mostly you meet other people who want to write and who give you honest feedback. Uh, that's what you need as a writer. Sure. Everybody needs their, fr- you need your friends. You need people who are going to say, this is amazing. You're the best writer ever. You know, congrats. When's the next book coming out? We all need that, but we also need, you know, this scene is boring. Yeah. Yeah. This, this didn't, I, I didn't get this at all. What are you trying to do here? So that's, that's the biggest thing you get out of like creative writing programs is peers who peers who are going through the same thing you are and who give you honest feedback. Well, there's a few sentences, uh, and I and I caught it early on. I'm not going to go back and dig it up, but there it would be the way you would form a phrase <clears throat> that you don't necessarily you don't necessarily speak that way. But when you read it, it makes so much sense, and it's uh, it's a truncation. You're saying it, and then you truncate part of it so that you're kind of jettisoning forward to be able to get the uh, point made without <clears throat> actually just going on and on and blah, 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 blah. And I, I liked it, but it was clearly, it, 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 you could tell that you'd spent some time in literary work. So it's mm-hmm. still kind of a compliment. It's still a compliment. It's just, um, it's, it, but then when you get into what I call the classic thriller of, especially when you did, when you got down to the chase scenes and then uh, you were compressing time down near the end, I was like, wow, this, this fella can flat out get the thrill on. That's when you know. I've, I've read I've read a lot of books uh, like that, and we've all read we've all read books that um, start that way, and then they they don't. Kind of like when you watch if you watch a really uh, a trailer for a movie, you're like that looks amazing, and you go watch the movie, and you realize all the best parts of the movie were in the trailer. Um, or as my wife says, that. yeah, I've we've just watched the movie on. Yeah, the whole, the whole and I can tell he's the bad guy. They're gonna end up together, and you know, here's, here's the solution. You're like, and you're probably right. Um, I, I thank you again for the compliments and the writing. I think that, uh, I knew I wanted to try to cycle around with these three different characters in this book. And as I got, you know, I do a chapter, Nick, and then Annalise and then Cole, who's one of the people who's looking for Annalise. Um, I didn't want to spend too much. I wanted to focus on Cole some, but didn't want to spend too much time in him, keep him mostly off stage as a threat. Uh, but as the as we get near, uh, yeah, the, the third act of the book, I wanted to. I started cycling between them, jumping a bit more, and realize, okay, that's gonna, that's gonna, that, that's either going to confuse people if I don't do it well, or it's going to ramp up the tension. And working with my editor, we got it, got it down, so we got it as uh, taut as I could. And um, yeah, it was a lot of fun uh, trying to make that work. That's a good question. Yeah, let's let's call it. Uh... 290. Um, and you said it was kind of fatter at one time. What is the editing process and a good editor really kind of the magic potion to getting that book to the point where you really are doing this and you're not just belaboring things? And it, that part one, part two is how much longer was the book? This is pure curiosity because I love sure. to break down and analyze a book. Oh, I, for, for this book, actually, uh, my second one never turned back was oh, that probably was 50, that was probably 50 pages longer and we had to cut it down uh, 40 pages. Uh, this one, actually, my editor said, I actually, I think we need a little bit more um, because it was, it was maybe, and I knew it was, it was about 20 pages shorter than it is now. Okay. And, um, and I wasn't sure 
in that early draft. Like, I think I know where to add things, but I'm kind of worried about, again, I don't want to just pad stuff. Uh, or having a really good editor is helpful. A lot of people think editors are... Um, Hatchet. They're hatchet or they want you to totally change the whole, like my first book is it's set, it's a mystery set in an all boys boarding school. Um, and friends of mine seem to have this idea that an editor is like, yeah, the story is great. And could you do that? But in space, right? <laughs> or what if we made it an all girls school? Like, and that, that's not what, yeah. that's not what editors do. Um, they're usually, they're telling you like this, I don't know if you need the secondary character or this scene is repetitive or this is, you know, here's what you're doing. Well, here's this character arc. That's great. I might suggest moving this scene here because I think it'll be more effective if you put it over here. Um, most of the, they're, and they see the story in a way that you can't because the, as the writer, you're kind of too close to it. So they're an outsider reading it. A really good editor knows exactly what you're trying to do and has the perspective to, help you get to where you want the story to be even if you don't know that's what you need at first right you're like i think it's done like no 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 no. you don't need to end there you need to end here yeah do i really need to yeah you do um and if they're good they're right that is helpful uh really good editors no not any kind of a hatchet yeah Uh, how how did you how did you find your editor and is it the same editor on all three books now, first book, um, Shadow of the Lions, was with Algonquin, and uh, funny story, not so funny, uh, right after my agent sold it, uh, she called and said, look, I'm getting hired away by a different agency, and I can't take you with me, but I'm going to hand you off to one of my colleagues who's really interested in your fiction, and that is, uh, that's cur- my current agent, Peter, but for a few months, I was sort of in limbo. We were trying to figure that out. While that happened, my editor at Algonquin, who had finished editing the story, we just had copy edits left. She said, hey, I just got hired away by Ballantyne. And so, but you have to stay here with the publishing house. I can't take you with me. Uh, and I'm not really sure who your editor is going to be. Um, so for a few months, I didn't have one. I didn't have an editor or clearly have an agent. So that felt great. Oh, uh, It's called God. being orphaned, yeah. uh, right? And then... Um, Crooked Lane, uh, I got on with Never Turn Back and uh, got Jenny Chen, who edited that. Uh, and then she edited A Fire in the Night. Uh, and then she got hired away by Ballantyne. And so now I have my, I have my third editor, uh, Terry, who's great so far. So uh, that's interesting. Uh, but having a, it, it's, it's having a good relationship with and being able to trust um, the person who you're working with. And it's kind of hard because I've, uh, first book was in 2017. I didn't meet my first editor, Andra, in person until uh, after Shadow of the Lions came out. Um, And didn't meet, not in person, it was all, she's in New York. And so it was all phone calls and email. And uh, Jenny, my editor for the next two books, we never met in person. Uh, in fact, my wife saw that she's coming to a conference here in Atlanta later this, later next year. And it's like, you ought to reach out and see if you guys can grab coffee or something. Um, it, it's a weird thing to have that kind of a relationship with somebody with your books. And you're like, not, no, don't share the same physical space. I guess we're getting more used to that now with yeah. uh, COVID and, you know, I've become very intimate with Zoom as a school teacher. So, uh, you know, it is what it is. 
This might be a really good place to insert this question that I probably was going to filter down later. And that is, um, knowing what you know now with the education and prowess that you've achieved, what would be the best advice you would offer writers today, whether they're, you know, brand new up and comers, whether they're self-publishing or traditional publishing or wondering, do they have another one in them or et cetera? Um, the main thing I would say is don't give up. Do not quit. And that sounds easy to say, but, um, you know, I, like I said, I wanted to, I wanted to write since I was 13. You know, and I don't know if you can tell looking at me, but 13 was a while ago. <laughs> and I, um, don't be so hard. On and I didn't spend the entire time from, you know, from then until now, like slaving away at my craft or what have you. That, right. You know, life gets in the way you have you have children you have a job and you're like oh, i'd rather watch this movie than work on my, whatever and um but there were so many times when i could have just said you know what i've tried this thing i have you know i i'm happily married i've got two kids i, I have a nice house i have a job i love and enjoy i've got health insurance I'm, things are good i could if i walked away from this um you know no one would, the probably people would not fault me. And, but I would have, and I, and I got just enough encouragement at certain points in my career, you know, people saying no, but you've got anything else you're working on or stick, you know, you should keep doing this. What happened? Right. Um, Cause it is, there are so many people out there who are good writers and they try and it's such a subjective business. Um, you know, you want to have some, uh, People read, people read my first book and I got two reviews saying, you know, the beginning of this, just it, it just takes off like a bullet and then it slows kind of way down. I wasn't sure about that. The very next review I read said, man, it has a slow burn start, but then it just takes off like a rocket. I'm like, did y'all read the same book? <laughs> and yeah, uh, it's, you just, you have to, if you have, if you've had, um, outside of blood relatives or friends who are supposed to tell you you're an awesome writer. Um, if you've had, I'm lucky enough to have a spouse who she thinks I'm a great writer, but she also knows, she also calls me on it when I don't do well and I need that. But if you have anybody like that or, or a stranger, anyone who's read something you've written and has given you positive feedback, um, then, and you really want to tell stories and you're going to tell them whether or not you sell them or not, uh, stick with it and don't quit. The only reason I'm a published author, aside from whatever talent I have, and there are a lot of people who have a lot of talent, there are a lot more talented writers out there than me. The only reason I'm published is because I didn't stop and I could have so easily. And now I've got three books and a fourth coming out. So there's the sound bite, baby. Yep. <laughs> I mean, it's, I'm the proof's in the pudding, man. And if you're going to, uh, if you're going to stick with this business of writing stories, then, uh, you know, be prepared for the long haul. And, and again, you never know. It took me forever to find an agent. Uh, I, I got an agent and who said, send me this, you know, I've read the first out. This is great. Uh, send me the rest of it. And I did. And then she promptly went on maternity leave. Oh, and yep. so six months of, her office is like, oh, she's still reading it, but you know, the baby. And I'm like, yeah, that's great about the baby. Yeah. 
And you want to be, you can't be like, I don't care about your stupid baby because first of all, that's, you don't, right? Because that's not true. And also it's incredibly rude, but you're like, I just want, do you like the book? And then, yeah. you know, you finally, get the, yes I finally no. finished the, I finally finished the book. You know, yeah. I loved it. Let's talk. And, um, you know, I remember getting that email. My wife and I got the email on vacation. We were in Ireland on vacation. We got that email and I was like, oh my God. And I got, I'm a high school English teacher. I cried everything, but I got teary eyed and my wife cried. And um, so, yeah, it's, it's uh, a dream come true. And I'm just lucky that, you know, how many people have a dream where it's been 30 some years, man. Right. And then it comes true. Yeah. And you get to see that. And yes. then you can keep doing it you know, knock on wood, he's so far. So, you know, the, uh, I'm going to do a side move here. Uh, I am a big, we're, we're going back to blurbs. I'm a big fan of blurbs and you've got, uh, you got Sean Cosby on here, which by the way, since you guys are pals, please put in a word for me. Cause I really want him on the show. Um, you got Alex Segura, you've got, uh, Brian Pano, which one of your fans. And I know, uh, Mark loves him as well. Oh, yeah. It's the one on the front, and I was lucky to have this gentleman as my, I think, was it number two? My second guest on the Thriller Zone, Lee Goldberg, New York Times bestselling author, I might add. Mm -hmm. He says, and this is, this is where I went, I have got to read it now. Literary fiction, comma, a spy novel, comma, and a relentless thriller all in one. And I went... Okay, if this cat can really pull that off, I'm all in. And you did. You got the lit. You got the spy. You got the thriller. And um, just once again, I, to give you I, I saw that, and and I I got that blurb, and I and my I sent it to my editor and said, you know, holy crap, this is what I've been trying to do for the pat for three books. This is this is what I'm trying to hit. Yeah. And the trifecta. Uh, yeah, I, I met I met Lee, and that we were at a. Um, Running conference in Alabama uh, a couple years ago before the pandemic hit, and he's a he's a really funny write, really funny guy. Has all I'm sure on your all kinds of stories about writing for Hollywood, and oh, yeah. he wrote for all of these TV shows in the '80s. You know, he wrote for Sequest, and he was having us all all the other writers were all dying, laughing because he's writing about meeting with some producer about a scene where the dolphin in Sequest who is like really intelligent like can talk through computer characters and the producer's like you don't understand the pain the dolphin has gone through. and lee is like sitting here listening to this guy like screaming him about a talking dolphin and we're all just laughing our heads off and at the same time you know i've read his first uh, eve ronan book and he's on i think number four right now and it's like okay yeah i knew this guy could read this is good and yeah, again, I reached out to him. So would you be willing to read? He's like, sure, send me a copy. And he sent that back to me. And I was like, that's, I'm going to frame this and hang it up over my desk. I would. He, yeah, he is an amazing guy. Super nice. So approachable. It's so unaffected. Yes. I was like, how can you be so unaffected having done all you've done? And then I realized that when you hang around guys that are real true pros and are comfortable in and of themselves and with themselves, uh, that confidence burns of, yeah, I know I got it, but it's not ego. It's just like, yeah, but we don't need to talk about that. Let's talk about the talking do dolphins. You know, I love that. 
Yep. So back to our location. So, uh, you know, I was born in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, grew up in Lynchburg, mm -hmm. and then years later moved to uh, Charlotte to be near family, and then family up in Asheville. And this is one, the reason I bring that up is because it brings this phrase. When I was reading this, and as I grew uh, closer to the end, I was like, this was like going home again. And, and all the nostalgic of the small town of Cashiers and the, yeah. and the lodge and the smoke and the snow and the pads. And I've done all the hiking through the Blue Ridge Mountains. And I think, suppose that was part of that palpable uh, attraction that I gained uh, with this story. But it really does give you that sense. And what I wanted to know is, how did this handsome education of yours and growing up in and around those parts how did that influence you? Was it just logical that, oh, well, I grew up here and I'm going to talk about it. I noticed you mentioned that first book being about all boys school, which yeah. was your first school. Um, yeah. What do you think about that? Well, I, th I think uh, the advice you get early on as a writer is write what you know. Right. And like a lot of writers, I wanted to, you, you, well, you do one of two things. Either you write stories that are thinly veiled autobiographical accounts uh, of your own life or you go try to go in the opposite direction and write about stuff you have no idea about, but you try to fake it. And I chose B. I chose the second. Uh, and that didn't always, that was a lot of fun, but didn't always work out very well. And I realized after writing, in writing my first book, my wife had said, why don't you try writing something you know? And, you know, so you went to boarding school, so the story in a boarding school, people like those. And uh, so I tried that and it, it pulled it off pretty well. I realized I can just sort of steal stuff from my own life, um, use what I want and ditch the rest. And I grew up in North Carolina. I was born in Asheboro, moved to okay. Morganton, lived in Winston-Salem, lived in Asheville. Um, my dad was a bank with Wachovia. We moved all around the state. Then oh. we moved down to Atlanta. But my mom's parents lived in Cashers. They, uh, granddad was a World War II veteran. And when he got out of the Navy, served in the Pacific, he came home, met my mom, who was two years old, uh, had been born while he was overseas. And my mom apparently told him, you're not my daddy. That's my daddy. And pointed to the picture of my grandfather in his uniform that my grandmother had. And, you know, my grandfather's heart was broken. They were in Tryon, North Carolina, and they went up into the mountains for a picnic. And my mom let my grandfather put a flower in her hair and he turned to my grandmother and said dot we're moving here and it was a little more involved than that but that's the family story and here was cashers in 1948 there was one stoplight and you know i mean cashers really only has about six thousand people live there year round yeah uh, but now it's full of all kinds of vacation homes and such and the area's gotten kind of built up but they moved up there ran a gift shop out of the front of their house for and eventually built a house next door, turned the whole first house into the store. 50 years of that. It was the first gift shop up there. You go up there now, you can't throw a rock without hitting a gift shop or a boutique of some kind. Um, and when I, I saw, I told you that this story, I had this older guy and this middle-aged guys in his house, teenager runs on the porch. It was in the mountains in my head. And I'm like, it's gotta be Western North Carolina. Yes. I wanted to run up, I'll, I'll make it. I'll make it Cashers and Highlands. Um, and I had been to the Highlands, the Hudson Library and Highlands before for my, uh, for my other two books. And I thought, yeah, I need, well, actually for 
uh, Shadow of the Lions. Uh, didn't do much of, for Never Turn Back. Came out during the year of COVID, mm-hmm. so no touring there uh, in person anyway. And uh, I was like, I'm this would be a good scene. There's a library fight in um, yeah. a fire in the night, and I went up there uh, this summer, right or this uh, right after it came out. I went up there um, for an event and. Uh, I had a nice crowd and I said something. I said, you know, there's there's a little altercation in the library. And from the back of the room, the librarian's like, you trashed the library. <laughs> and I said, I didn't trash anything. The characters can. The main character didn't want to. Um, anyway, we had, a, we had a good laugh about it. Um, but I wanted to use that place and I love that. I love that area. And um, I also wanted someplace, honestly, where... Uh, you, you didn't necessarily have the best uh, cell phone reception. A lot of writers, we, a lot of writers, talking to Emily Carpenter is a friend of mine, writes thrillers, uh, Southern Gothic. She's great. And we were complaining about cell phones, yeah. you know, that they solve so many problems, complaining about them as a writer because they solve so many problems um, that you put characters in. Like, I don't know how to read Sanskrit and just Google it. <laughs> yeah. <I'm> like, <laughs> Right. I'm lost. I don't know where I am. Hey, Siri, where am I? Uh-huh. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Um, you don't have cell reception up in a lot of those mountain towns at all. No, you don't. I just said that and my phone just started telling me where I'm located out loud. Tell Siri to shut up. That's just, I'm, I'm afraid to. Yeah. That's scary. Uh, all right. Two quick things. First of all, yep. I call it, call it cashiers like what you have at a store. So it's cashiers and I, I had a brain fart there. Number two is no th- that story that you were telling. I'm like, God, why does that sound so familiar? Isn't that Letty's backstory? One of the characters? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And in the, in the Carolina Mountain Shop, that was the name. Letty is, Letty is a, an alternative universe version of my grandmother. My grandmother was very, very, pro- would be very proper and polite. Although she and my she and my grandfather, they were Yankees. They were from away. She's yeah. from New Jersey. He was from Pennsylvania. Oh yeah. And it only took them. It only took them about 30 years to get finally sort of, uh, yeah. you know, welcomed into the community. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I used, I used, uh, she did not have a, she wasn't salty, my grandmother in any way. So I changed that a little bit for Letty and, um, but yeah, that was the store. Yeah, I, I heard. Uh, it was sort you. of paying homage. It was kind of paying homage to them because I would I would go work in that store as a teenager. I would go up thirteen or fourteen in the summer, you know, work for a week uh, or two, and uh, all the girls my grandfather called them, these local women they would hire to uh, you know help in the store, and they would you know ruffle my hair and I'd be like, stop it. <laughs> but secret, secretly kind of liked it. It was kind of fun to be like the kid, and they and you know, try to wrap presents or ring, ring a customer up or whatever. Sure. Um, yeah, it was fun. And so I wanted to, I drew on that and put that in there. I, I, I was just sitting there going, wait a minute, I've heard this story. Where have I heard this story? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, hey, idiot, you just read it's, it. It's uh, in there, yeah. All right, uh, before we start wrapping things up, I do, I want to drill back around to this and I don't know why I'm so obsessed by it because uh, this just felt like the almost the perfect length. And, and it, Begs this question, Chris, and I and I've asked other people this before. With you know, everyone says, "Oh, our attention spans are getting shorter," which is why Twitter and Instagram and TikTok are so much more powerful and so forth. And nobody watches videos on YouTube anymore. That you used to be five to seven minutes, but no, it's now like two to three tops. Mm-hmm. And so it begs the question: Do you think uh, 
two-part question. Do you think that in your next book will be in that three, sub-three, over-three uh, range? Oh, and or that crunch in the background is my dog found the bone. And if I don't let him sit here and chew on it, he'll then bang at the door. To I, get I got a little, I understand completely. Okay. So do you, do you see that as the future? Do you see that as maybe your future book, but do you also see that as part of the potential future of books to come because of this massive influx of media that we're getting and people are turning to audiobooks so that they can do one or two things while reading audibly mm -hmm. the book? I don't know. I don't think that, I mean, people have been talking about the the near future demise of the book for a long time. Yeah. And long. they've all been, they've all been proven wrong. And everyone, you, you'll get these massive books, you know, Don Winslow, who wrote the power of the dog and the cartel and the border. Those are, those are riveting books and they, and they, they, you know, they're page turners, but they're also, the cartel is massive, right? It was, I think it was 400, 500 pages long. It took me a season um, to get through. Yeah. Right. But it's, it's, you know, it, it's riveting stuff. And I think that if it's written well enough, then um, you're going to be fine. I think my next book, uh, it'll probably be, it's a little bit longer than A Fire in the Night, but not massive. So it's, it's, you're hitting around 300. Got it. I don't think unless unless you are writing purely commercially and you're on some kind of a deadline or contractually obligated, or you're writing in a format like say um, mainstream television uh, or something, where you're really like, okay, you got 22 minutes, and you got to. Right. I think for me, story is. I'm going to write the story that the character tells me uh, they need. Um, I'll have a character and I'll have a situation and see how it unfolds. And I've, I think at this point, I've got a pretty decent take on uh, rhythms and on setting up suspense and trying to, okay, reader needs to know something by this point. Something needs to happen by this point. If that comes in at 300 pages, great. If it comes in at 500, I'll double check to make sure that I'm not writing three pages about the feather bed. Right. But other than, other than that, uh, I think I think it's it depends it depends on the writer and the story. I think that people are still willing, even in this day and age where attention spans are short and dragged in ten thousand different directions. Uh, got a good story, okay. Yeah, uh, you just want to write the best story that you can. It's going to grab yeah. your reader and make them care about the character. And like I said, if they care about the character and they get invested in that character, then they're going to follow that character through whatever you put them through, unless you unless you blow up the story or the character's life so much that they're just, okay, this is stupid. And, I, I'm, and they put the book down. I know you got kids home from school and you got dinner uh, plans here. So uh, let's go ahead and wrap it up. We uh, do this little thing called rapid fire questions. If you heard the show, you probably heard it. The first one's a layup keyboard or notepad keyboard, coffee, keyboard. tea, or an adult beverage while writing uh, <laughs> coffee. I'm drinking coffee now. If I adult beverage, then Next day, I'll read it and just trash it and start over. Yeah, kind of like those days in college, maybe for some people I've read yeah. that uh, had a little bit of puff puff and they went the next day and go, I have no idea what that means. Right. All right. Do you snack or abstain while writing? Uh, I'll snack if I'm hungry. Gotcha. This one's a little more complicated, but it's one of my favorites. I'm just doing a little twister. If you could have three people over to your house for an afternoon of hanging out by the grill, the pool, cornhole game, whatever your 
favorite festivities in there in the wow. backyard. Yeah. You're going to invite three people over, anybody living or dead, who would they be and why? I, I'm a high school English teacher, so it's it's highly unoriginal, but William Shakespeare, like, how did you do that? Yeah. Not only how did you do that with language, but how did you pull it off again and again and again and sell tickets and be commercially successful while also writing great literature? How did you do that? Pat Conroy, because he lived in my neighborhood here in Atlanta, and I never had the guts to go knock on his door and say, oh. hi, I'd like to be a writer. And everyone who's met him that I've met, other writers are like, he would so have loved that. Oh. He would he would have he would have said something funny and cutting and then smiled and said, come on in. And he would have talked to you as long as you wanted, probably. Oh. That would have been amazing. So that's a missed opportunity. The guy um, could love, flat out write. Oh, yeah. And the third, it's a draw of two very different either uh Kate Winslet, because I've always had a crush on her, or and she's an amazing actress, or uh, my grandfather, because he was a great storyteller, and I miss him. All right, last one. I just get a sense of the very little time we spent together. I know that part of this has gone through your head. So if you could take one of those three books over your shoulder, Shadow of the Lions, A Fire in mm -hmm. the Night, or Never Turn Back, take any one of those three, and you could get it turned into a film. You, maybe you're the executive producer. Either way, somebody comes to you, here's a big fat check. We want to make one of these into the film. Which one would you pick? You get to pick it, Chris, because you're a rock star. And who would play your <laughs> protagonist in whichever one you chose? Oh, wow. Um, I'm torn between all of them and never turn back just because I'm writing the sequel to that. But I think it'd have, I think, uh, I think it'd have to be a fire in the night just because in my head, it's the most recent one. And also in my head, it's... Uh, I can see it. I see it unfold. Dude, and, it's so chock full of TV right. series or a movie. Right. I'm not sure who Nick would be. Um, Annalise, I'd probably want to get some uh, breakouts. Sorry, it's funny. I'm I'm a I'm a Marvel fan, and oh. uh, my my younger son is too. And we've been watching the TV show Hawkeye, and it's got Hawkeye with my Jeremy Renner. Uh, you know middle-aged guy. And then Haley Steinfeld is sort of like the sidekick, this girl, this like super fan of Hawkeye who meets him and they team up together. And some, but somebody like her to play Annalise, I don't know who would Nick be. Getting him right would be tough. Folks, if you want to learn more about Chris, go to ChristopherSwan.com. You can follow him on Twitter. I love this. Swanee author. Um, <laughs> Swanee author. I yes. thought about changing that was a Nick Swanee was a nickname I got in college and sometimes in high school. And I was like, yeah, why not? Now I'm, it works. So I'll stick with it. Perfect. Cause you know what? You can't forget it and no one else yeah. has got it. So right. Bingo. Right. Chris, thank you so much for this uh, time together. It's really been awesome. I'm so glad we connected. Me too, David. Thank you so much. And thank you all everybody out there for watching and listening. Yeah. And I hope that uh, you'll consider coming around uh, next time. Would it be next year, perhaps? We'll be looking at that sequel, ne too. Yeah, sequel to Never Turn Back comes out uh, right now. It's coming out August 9th, 2022. So Nice. Uh, yep. I'd be happy to come back. Thank you again, Chris. Yeah, man. Thank you, David. Thanks again, Chris. And folks, do yourself a favor and pick up a copy of A Fire in the Night and make a nice stocking stuffer. Okay, next Friday's show, a.k.a. New Year's Eve, promises to be super special. Why? Well, first, because you're going to hear from a super talented, super warm, and superlatively charismatic woman who happens to be my beautiful wife, Mrs. Tammy Temple. And second, because I can't think of anyone better to share my microphone than my super soulmate. 
on next Friday's show, which happens to be the day after our fifth wedding anniversary. How cool is that? We will revisit some of the highlights of 2021. We'll revisit several of our favorite guests and talk about our favorite thriller reads of the year, as well as several of our favorite thriller TV series and films of 2021. The extra bonus? We'll be recording our show live on the road as we make our way to family across the country. It promises to be lots of fun and fantastically on the fly. I hope you'll tune in. In the meantime, drop us a note to say hello or a quick review on thethrillerzone.com. But most importantly, be sure to take time off and enjoy your family and friends. And then get ready, because we have one heck of a lineup in 2022, beginning with the legendary Ace Atkins, New York Times bestselling author John Gilstrap, the superstar writing duo of Andrews Wilson, and number one New York Times bestselling author of 11 novels in the Grain Man series, coming soon to Netflix and starring Ryan Gosling, and co-author of seven Tom Clancy novels. You guessed it, the one and only Mark Graney. Talking about a packed year of the very best thriller writers in the world. I'm so lucky. And you can hear it all right here on thethrillerzone.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, or most anywhere you enjoy your favorite shows. Be sure to subscribe, follow, and share. Until next week, finish up that holiday shopping, stay safe, and remember you've got a friend right here. I'm David Temple, and we'll see you next time in the Thriller Zone. The Thriller Zone has been presented by The Story Factory and the visionary genre-bending debut novel Grand Theft AI by James Cox. The Matrix meets Blade Runner. Grand Theft AI is available now for pre-order from your favorite bookseller.